we've been in a series called The Vow, focusing on this month of February, the month of love, focusing on relationships, on marriage relationships. Now, how many of you, when you met your current spouse, it was the opposites that attracted you to each other? So how many were attracted to somebody a little bit opposite of you? Okay, raise your hand. Yeah, okay, so yeah, anybody else opposite of you? You married somebody opposite of you? You know, they say that opposites what? Opposites attract. And, and there is a measure of truth to that. You know, sometimes I'm not looking for somebody just like me, or I would have a 47-year-old bald man today, right? I'm looking for somebody different than me. And God, you made man and woman uniquely different. And so it's those opposites that attract. And so it might go like this, you know, oh, he's so funny. He's so fun to be with. He's got a great sense of humor. And, and that's what attracted you. But how many know that when you get married, Sometimes opposites attack. You ever notice that? What was kind of like, oh, he's so funny, he's, he's so cute in the things that he says later, it's, he's so insensitive. You should hear the things he says to me, right? It's because all of a sudden his humor to you is not so funny. Or maybe what attracted you to her, oh, she's so organized. She, she, she just has everything planned out. It's just so wonderful. She has our, our wedding day all planned out. How great is that? And that attracted you to her. And then you get married. It's like she's a control freak. You know, she has to have her hand in everything, right? Amen. Opposites attract. <laughs> and then opposites can have a way later of attacking, of causing attack. And it's those little things. How many know sometimes it is the little things? little differences that actually cause some of the biggest arguments and biggest fights in your home. Anybody ever experienced that? Something so little. In fact, you, you, you sit back and you look at it when it's all done and say, how silly of us to have made such a big deal about where the couch was going to be placed in the front room, right? I mean, how silly of us to let something so small. Why? Because there are differences and those differences are good. And it's those differences that maybe attracted you to each other. And those differences, if anything, they get more detailed when you spend time together in close proximity, right? You find out things about each other that even during the courting and dating period, maybe you kind of knew existed. All of a sudden, it's like, it's like 100% there now. And you kind of go, well, that was kind of cute. Now I'm not so sure about it. Those don't have to divide us. In fact, that's what the enemy wants more than anything is for our differences to divide us in our marriage relationship. But I believe that our differences, that God can use those to strengthen us and to strengthen our marriage as we begin to understand the uniqueness that each of us brings to the partnership of marriage. We're going to talk about that today, among others, just to kind of review quickly. We've been talking about vows. And many of you remember your wedding day when you stood before your spouse and you uttered those vows before God and the witnesses that were there. Maybe you can't even recall what they were today. But we've been looking at a few of our own. We, we began with the vow of priority. The vow of priority said that I promise that God will be my what? First priority and my spouse will be my second. And we talked about how so many times we're looking for the one in our, in our dating relationship. We're looking for the one. If I can just find the right one. And the reality is God needs to be your one. Because when God is the head of your life and he's the head of your marriage, then you can actually love your spouse as you need to. Because God's love touches your heart. And God's life fills your life and allows you to be what you need to be for your spouse. So we talked about seeking our one. Seeking our one God. And under that, that we said our second vow was the vow of pursuit. And that, that vow said, I promise to always pursue my two. 
And what a great chance this last week to pursue your two, all right? I'm dressed up today to pursue my two, right, honey? I, did, I wore a tie even today for you. <laughs> I never wear a tie. I'm wearing pink. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> pink. I will always pursue my two. These are important vows. If you missed any of them, you can go online. Uh, you can, if you're an iTunes user, you can subscribe to our podcast there and get those sermons hand-delivered to you. Well, not hand-delivered, but you get the idea every week. So I encourage you to do that. Today, I want to talk about the vow of partnership, the vow of partnership. And if you want to take notes today, you can use the back of your bulletin. Or if you are a smart device user, you have your iPhone, your iPad, or whatever other device you have, you can use our free Wi-Fi. The password is neighborhood guest. Neighborhood guest, all lowercase, neighborhood guest. And you can get on our Wi-Fi and uh, use the Bible app. We have notes in there for you. If you don't have the Bible app and want to know how to load it, come talk to me. I'll show you how to get it on your device. It is a great tool to have to explore God's Word together. The vow of partnership. God established marriage for some very specific reasons. There was a, an emotional reason why God created marriage. He said it wasn't good for man to be what? alone. That truth applies to both parties though, right? It's not good for a woman to be alone either. And so God said emotionally, it's just not good to be alone. You need somebody to be with that will meet emotional need. There was also a social purpose for marriage, that they were to have children, right? To bear fruit and multiply. And so at the beginning of the book of Genesis, we see that take place, a very social purpose to populate the earth. And that happened within the confines of marriage. Paul also indicates that we are married for physical purposes, that we have unique needs as human beings. We have desires, and we have things that give us pleasure, and in the bounds of marriage, that can be shared and given freely. There is a physical purpose, how we can love our spouse very intimately. And then there was also a spiritual purpose that Paul gives us. And what Paul shows us in Ephesians 5, which we're going to be going to a little bit later today, is that in this marriage relationship, it's the beautiful picture of how Christ loves us and how we're to love him back. And that same way we can love and submit to our spouses. And so there's a spiritual purpose for why we are married. And never forget that. Some of you just got married for physical reasons. Never forget that there are emotional, social, and spiritual reasons that you also got married. And so you might enjoy the physical time with your spouse, but are you being together spiritually? Are you being together emotionally? Those are also reasons for marriage. Today's vow of partnership says this, that I promise our marriage will be about we, not me. I promise that our marriage will be about we, not me. And some of us get that upside down, right? We live the me rather than the we. And uh, that's what causes a lot of hard issues in relationships, as we forget it's about we now. It's not about me. Genesis 2.24 shows us that. When Moses wrote this, of course, he was recording what took place. But in Genesis 2.24, God gives the reason for marriage. He gives us the first example of marriage between Adam and Eve. He sets the, the bar high. And he says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united. Everybody say United united to his wife, and they become one flesh. We look at that, and, and we wonder how. I mean, come on. How is that possible? One flesh, united. What is this really about? It's, the, it's about the picture of what God intended when it came to the relational partnership that he designed for marriage. He said they're to be united, completely joined as one. 
Now, I want to just take a moment as we talk about this today just to address those in the room who've experienced divorce or are separated. And, and, and I know that when we talk about marriage, this isn't like your favorite message right now because it might still hurt. The sting of that divorce or separation may still hurt you. And I'm just going to tell you that I'm not here today to cast stones or to judge you, all right? We all have histories relationally. What I love about God is He has a way of taking our past and under His grace, forgiving and then giving us a future. So while we're talking about this and maybe you've had bad experiences relationally, don't just chalk this off and say, this isn't for me today. Because if you're desiring a relationship again, I believe God has plans for you perhaps, okay? So pay attention to this and learn from it. Because we all know we have some things we can learn from our previous relationships that we brought to it or that we took away from it. And I believe God could speak to us. So I'm not here to judge, so please don't, don't take that today when we're talking about this issue of the oneness of marriage. Jesus echoed what Moses said in Genesis chapter 2 when he was confronted about marriage. Look at what he said. Matthew 19 verse 4 says this, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He directly quotes Genesis. But look at what he does now. As though that wasn't enough, Jesus expounds now. Okay, what's he do? He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Okay, so if Genesis 2 wasn't clear enough, leave mom and pop, be united to his wife, they become one flesh, he has to kind of break it down and say, look, here's the point, you're no longer two. It's not the me's coming to this relationship, it is now about the we. The two have become one. Therefore, what God has joined together let no one, no one separate. And most of the time, that separation happens from within the we, doesn't it? When the we falls apart. Because me keeps raising its ugly head in our relationship. So how do we do this? How do we have this partnership God has designed? Here's how we do it. We first of all discover that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. When God ordained marriage. He saw it as a contract. I'll expound here more in a moment. But why is it not a contract? Here's why. Because a contract is based on mutual distrust. Why do you enter a contract with somebody when you buy a car or when you buy a house or when you go into a partnership? Why is there a contract? Because there is a measure of distrust. And you're entering that relationship, but you're entering it with distrust. Now, hopefully over time, that, that, that changes if you had a good partner. But how many know the reason now you sign a stack of papers like this tall when you buy a house is because somebody before us has messed the whole thing up, and what could have been one signature on a piece of paper has now become a lot more to take care of, right? Why? Because contracts are built on distrust. And here's the sad, the sad truth. For a lot of marriages, they're nothing but a contract. And the foundation of that has been distrust. And maybe that distrust has been because of your experiences prior to marriage, or maybe that's been because of what it looked like in your house. I don't know. But sometimes we bring distrust to a relationship, and what we have is a contract. And the problem with contracts is when it doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for you, we part ways. See, a contract basically says, I'll go in as far as you go in. And what a contract does is protects me from your wrongdoing. That is not how we want to approach marriage. So while there is legally, yes, a contract, 
uh, that you sign with the state of Oregon, uh, that you are now a married couple. While there is that piece of paper, understand that marriage is more than a piece of paper, that marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. Why? Because a covenant is based on mutual commitment, and that's the difference. Mutual commitment. The word covenant, as used in the Old Testament, it talks about things like this, a cutting or a, a binding agreement, a blood covenant. You ever notice that in the Old Testament, every time there was a covenant between God and men, it involved a sacrifice, a, a shedding of blood. Why? Blood was, symbol, was symbolic of life, okay? And it even is, is held in Jewish history that when a young man and a young woman wanted to get married, they would come before the priest, the priest would cut each of them in their hands. Their hands would then be joined and bound by a cord. And what this was, many of you remember doing this as kids, right? I did this with my best friend called Eric. I took a knife and cut my hand, and he cut his hands, and we became blood brothers, right? Um, but it's a little different than that. What, what was, it was symbolic because in Old Testament Jewish thought, life was in the blood. And when the woman was cut and the man was cut and their hands were joined together and bound by a cord, it was symbolic that their life, their soul was mingling together as one. And that would be a sign for them. This is the significance and the seriousness of this relationship. It was a mutual commitment and blood was involved. Now let me take this another step that's maybe not so PG-13. So if there's little ears in the, in the house, just close them for a minute. In the Old Testament, when a husband and a, and a wife would become married... On the evening in which they would consummate their marriage, because they didn't have hanky-panky outside of marriage, okay? Just saying it straight. God's design was for the hanky-pankiness to happen inside the confines of a marriage contract, commitment, covenant. But here's, what, here's why I think this is so intriguing. There would be a cloth placed upon their wedding bed. And that cloth would bear the evidence that she kept herself pure for her husband. Because on that cloth would be a shedding of blood. I know this sounds a little disgusting and weird, but I want you to hang with me for a second. And some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? That in that shedding of blood, when they consummated their marriage, it was proof that they had kept themselves for each other. And it was a blood covenant. Isn't that interesting? That even in the consummation of marriage, there is a blood covenant. I think that's interesting. Why? Because God sees this as a covenant, not just a contract. It's because of the hardness of our hearts we're given this contract and ability to divorce. But that was never God's design, okay? It was to be united. In fact, in a great book called Marriage on the Rock, don't add an S to the end of that. It's not Marriage on the Rocks, but it's Marriage on the Rock. Um, the author says this, marriage is designed by God to be a total sharing of life between two people. It is a lifelong bond that can be surpassed only by a person's eternal bond with the Creator. Remember the one and we're the two. The price is laying down one's entire life to the one that we are covenanted with in marriage. So when it comes to a covenant, it's not 50-50, okay? I know sometimes couples say, yeah, we're kind of 50-50. No, you're not, okay? In a marriage relationship, you're not 50-50 because if all you're bringing is 50%, there's going to be trouble because what else has got your 50%, Right? No, marriage, when you come together, it's 100% on each party. We all bring, we're all in 100%. And that is the commitment. We hold nothing back. We bring everything together. In fact, here's the thing. I believe that biblically, 
if you want to truly have that intimate relationship with your spouse, because what most spouses long for is a sense of intimacy, which means they really feel like they are connected, that that two has become one, that there is this mingling of their souls and of their life. And here's the issue. Too many marriages, one party is holding a part of themselves back, and they aren't fully sharing. They're not 100%. And because of that, it causes tension in the relationship, and it zaps intimacy. So how do we change that? We come in 100%. I know we all have baggage, we have hang-ups, we have issues that we bring to our relationships, but we come in 100% for each other. And how do we do that? We do that because it's a covenant, and a covenant says that, in fact, covenant partnership is godly leadership and mutual submission. I want you guys to hear this. Based on Ephesians chapter 5, when we define and break down what a covenant partnership is, which I believe is what God calls us to, it is about godly leadership and mutual submission. And now I'm going to that passage that causes a lot of you to set yourselves on edge. So just breathe for a minute. Just breathe. Ephesians chapter 5. I know as parents, we use Ephesians 6 against our kids. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. If you ever use Ephesians 5 against your spouse, you're an idiot. All right. But if you use it for yourself, you're a smart man. Listen to it, Ephesians chapter 5, because in here, Paul expounds on what godly leadership and mutual submission looks like in a marriage relationship. And when it's done right by God's design, friends, listen to me, it is beautiful, it is intimate, it is successful. So let's look at it, Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to begin in verse 21. Now, for some of you, your Bibles put verse 21 up in the previous paragraph, And some of your Bibles, if you have the NIV, the newest translation, it puts it down under the heading of husbands and wives. And I think that's where it belongs. Because look at what verse 21 does. It sets the table for the conversation about marriage and the roles we have in our marriage relationship. So verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what is the foundation piece as Paul begins to talk about husbands and wives? He says what? Submit to one another. This is the groundwork. It's not about I'm higher than you are, I'm higher up the chain of command than you are. No, it is submit to one another. That is the context. In fact, as Christians, we're called to do that anyway. We're called to submit to one another. In a marriage relationship, certainly if God is your one, then you are submitting to your two. It is part of what we do. And he's saying this is now the context. You are approaching this conversation submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he goes on to explain it from there. But before we get to that next part, I I got to say this, that submission has nothing to do with the order of authority. Listen carefully. Submission has nothing to do with the order or the hierarchy of authority, but rather submission has everything to do with how that authority is in operation. In other words, what it looks like in relationship. Paul gives us what it should look like, and it's not to be a club that we beat people down with, men. He gives us the proper context about what it looks like And submission is what we wrap the whole thing around. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Buckle up. No, just kidding. Maybe you ought to just lighten up, right? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands 
as to the Lord or as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. All right, so listen, I'm not here to fillet the wives, okay? I'm not here because I got enough mail from the husband saying, you got to talk about submission, right? That's not what I'm doing here, okay? What I want us to do is look at God's design for this beautiful relationship, partnership, and covenant, all right? And what does he say? Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, basically, all right? So you're submitting to the head, husband, as you would to the Lord. And he goes on to explain it. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And so as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit to their husbands. Now, what I want you to see here, ladies, is the other side of this equation. Because men, we're quick to bring out this verse. Paul says, woman, submit. All right? We're, we're quick to do that. And in doing that, we have, we have already violated our portion of the partnership. When Jesus came, how did he come? As a tyrant ruler, sitting on a throne, waving a scepter and demanding allegiance? Is that what he did? Did he come as the harsh and tyrant ruler? No, that was Herod. That was the emperor of Rome, but that wasn't Jesus. In fact, uh, Jesus gives us a great picture of this, of what it means to be a leader. So men, here's the deal. We're going to look at that example in a minute, but here's what I want to set the stage with, with this about. Men were called to lead. And what I'm afraid of today in our culture is that men are passively handing that leadership over to, to their women, especially when it comes to spiritual leadership. Now again, in your relationship, one of you is going to be more dominant and one's going to be more passive. That's generally what happens. If you're both dominant, wow, the fireworks are beautiful about every day, right? Generally speaking, though, that this happens. But sometimes it's inappropriate in how that dominance plays out in your relationship. Men, too often we acquiesce, especially spiritual leadership to women. And I'm telling you right now in the church that is wrong, okay? I'm all for women being in leadership. I'm all for those. Don't, don't misquote me. I'm just saying in a marriage relationship, we're called to lead men. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? It doesn't mean you're a dictator. It doesn't mean I'm going to now tell you everything you should do. That's not leadership. That's, that's dictatorship, okay? But leadership is different. What is leadership? Leadership is setting the tone. It's setting the, the, the vision. It's setting the value of your relationship. Now, let me give you an example from Jesus. Remember, the night before he was about to be betrayed, that evening, he's with his disciples in the upper room. What does he do? He takes off his robe he gets a dish and a towel, and what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. And he says for them, I'm doing for you now what you should do for everybody else. And what he was basically showing us is that the greatest person isn't in the room is not the person who uses his authority, or sorry, is not the person who uses people to build up his authority, but the greatest person in the room is the person who uses his authority to build up people. And there's a very big difference. Husbands, you've been given an authority to build up your wife. You've been given an authority to build up your children. 
The greatest person in the room, according to Jesus, isn't the person who uses people to build up his authority. It's the person who uses his authority to build up people. And that's how it applies in your relationship. Your wife will submit to you when your leadership is being used to build her up and to build up your family. Now, let me give you an example. In the church, I'm the pastor of this church. As a leader, do I make every decision? Absolutely not. It would be foolish to make all the decisions because they would bottleneck at me, and this church would not grow. Instead, I cast vision, I give direction, I set the tone and the mood, and because of that, the staff and those who make decisions can make decisions according to the vision already being set. So here's the question I have for husbands in the room. What is your vision for your marriage? Have you even thought about that? What is the vision for your marriage relationship? Because the Bible tells us without vision, people perish. What is your vision? If you're not married yet, men, think about it. What is my vision? When I get married, what is it? Now, you've got to make sure then, women, that you also join in that vision. And men, you've got to make sure that's palatable for women. Because if you have two visions in a marriage, you have division. Or a better word would be division in your marriage, right? But men, you set the tone, you lead. And when you lead right, because I heard, I heard a lot of guys say, well, I just wish that she would respect me. Give her something to respect. Lead in a way that builds her up, in a way that builds your home, in a way that builds your children. And in so doing, she can submit. Because when we look at Ephesians 5, it's kind of like a, a cycle. Women Submit to your husbands, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, let's pick it up where it comes to the men. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And I just want to notice, I want you guys to hear very clearly. Ladies, he gives you three verses. Men, he gives us eight. So let's pay attention to the eight he gives us. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because the two have become one flesh, right? Let's move on. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. It's just Christ does the church for members of his body. For this reason, now Paul quotes Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So when we put wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, in the other half of the context, which is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, all of a sudden we see the beautiful mystery of this relationship. There is mutual submission. We're both to submit to each other, give myself up. But what else is there? There is godly leadership from the man. Let me just tell the men how it is here. Men, we are given a higher command in this passage. The wives are simply told to submit to the husbands as you would unto the Lord. 
That doesn't mean, guys, they got to call you Lord, so stop it, all right? All right? But the other side of that, man, listen to the challenge before us. We're to love our wives just as, you know why you can say that? In equal measure to the way Christ loves the church. And I got to tell you right now, I am not there yet as a husband. Loving as Christ loved the church, that's sacrificial love. That is a sanctified love. That is a satisfying love. And I have not arrived there yet, but I'm striving. And men, we have a high call to love our wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. And when that happens, then guess what can can take place? The wife can submit to the husband as unto the Lord because we have found our proper place in the partnership and we're all in 100%. And here's the thing, selfless love that we have as men or that we give as women, well, not we as women, it's okay, as you give as women, I'm just going to clarify that. Selfless love always enlarges and enriches. Okay, when you have that selfless love, your marriage relationship will be enlarged and enriched. But the opposite, or selfishness, produces the opposite of that. You will see that sense of value in your marriage relationship reduced, and you'll be robbing and stealing from it. Selfless love builds up. Selfish love tears down. And most of the time when I am dealing with uh, couples about relational issues, I just got to tell you, selfishness is the root. It is. The conversation goes something like this. I, 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 I. Or she, 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 she. Or you, you, you. And all of a sudden it's a division about it's me, it's you, it's us. It's not, it's not we. It's two me's. Fighting it out in the office. And friends, I just got to tell you, it's not the way God designed it. Because when it comes to the vow of partnership, it's never about the me. It's about we. So if Christian husbands and wives have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, which we do if we're Christians, and if we have this great example from Jesus of how he has loved the church and gave himself up, and we as the church, kind of examples of wife, how we love Christ back, what a great example. If this is what we have before us, then why do so many Christian marriages suffer? I'll tell you why. Somebody is out of the will of God in that relationship. And before you elbow that person next to you, Remember, you can't change the other person by force. Never going to work. You may have tried it. How'd that work for you? How was the recliner that night, right? You see what I'm saying? How was the doghouse, okay? You, you know what I'm talking about. You can't go that route. What can you do? You can work with the person right here in the mirror. You look at yourself and go, where am I in Ephesians 5? Am I loving my wife as Christ is of the church? Am I giving myself up for her? Probably not. There's a lot of me still attached to this, and i got to give that up because the root of most marital problems is sin, and that sin is selfishness. Me, not we. So your marriage, friends, will be as good as you both decide it will be. It's a partnership, 100%. It will be as good as you decide it will be. We each bring to the relationship of we. 
And if you're only bringing 50%, I'm just telling you right now, it is not going to work. You bring 100% to it. She brings 100% to it. And that partnership, that covenant before God of godly leadership and mutual submission will help you weather the stuff of marriage. Because I can tell you right now, standing up here talking about marriage makes me very vulnerable because I'm not the perfect person, okay? I got my own stories. My wife's in the front row. She'd be probably happy to share a few. (laughs) This is not, again, speaking from profession because I'm working at it. I'm working at it. But here's what I do know. My marriage will be as good as we both decide it will be. And what I'm bringing to this, people say, well, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like being nice. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like working on it. How many other areas of your life can you use that argument and it makes sense? I don't feel like going to work today. Can I explain that to your boss? Oh, you don't feel like going to work today? Oh, okay. (laughs) Just stay home. You're fired. Or I don't feel like getting up and feeding that crying baby. How long is that going to work for you? Or I don't feel like doing taxes. I know it's tax season. Some of you are hating this conversation right now because you don't feel like doing taxes. But how is not doing taxes working for you? Okay? There's a lot of things we can't use that excuse with. Marriage isn't measured by feelings. Marriage is measured by commitment. You may not feel like it. Mm -mm. That's not how you measure your marriage. Marriage is measured by commitment. And here's the thing about commitment. And I know some of you have hung in there years. Listen to me. Here's the thing about commitment. Feelings will follow commitment. But rarely have I seen it work the other way where commitment follows feelings. Some of you got married because of some tingly feelings, right? You had tingly feelings for each other. You got married. Those feelings aren't going to carry you through the hard stuff of married life. Marriage is measured by commitment. And feelings will follow commitment. As you say, I, don't, I can't change my spouse, but I can change me. And I'm going to bring 100%. I am committed 100% in loving selflessly my spouse. And when you begin to commit to that, friends, feelings follow. And maybe even mutual feelings will follow. So what do you do when you're not in love anymore? I've heard a lot of couples just say, you know what? I, I just don't love him anymore. We kind of ran out of love for each other. So we got a divorce because we ran out of love for each other. Okay, let's take that same argument and apply it to your vehicle. You ran out of gas, so you're going to sell your car. That makes a lot of sense. Now, what do you do? You put more gas in the car because the car is worth it, maybe. (laughs) If it was my 81 Dodge Omni, it wasn't worth it, all right? Four-door hatchback, it was a love machine. Just ask Trisha. Dodge Omni. No, you, you put gas in the tank. You're running out of love? Friends, listen. You got to find ways to put it back in the tank. How? Selflessly. But I, I know. We. We need this. 
We need to figure out ways to put stuff back in the tank. Why? Because it's a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is about we, not me. And some of you, your marriage right now is on that brink. Let me just show you something to illustrate it, and I'm done. There's two words I'm going to put on the screen right now. United and untied. As you look at those two words, what creates the difference between those two words? It's the location of the eye. Some of you want a united marriage, but the eye is out of place. You're trying to make it about you, about me. And when that eye jumps in the wrong place, which it often does, it creeps up often in marriage, okay? And when it does, it's going to lead to being untied. But when that eye is in the right place, under God and before your spouse, that's a united relationship. And that is what I believe God wants us to do. So where do I need to be? As difficult as this seems, men or women, I need to be submitted to Christ. I need to then be serving my bride or, or, or serving my husband and laying down my life for him or her. It's 100% a commitment. And here's the thing. I come back to our vow. If you remember nothing else, remember this. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. So when you have a challenge, we have a problem in your marriage relationship, you approach it as we, not me, 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 me. You approach it as we. Because if your goal is to work together, to work your way through the challenges and make it really about we, then you're willing to take the hits that me might get because of it. Why? Because oftentimes the strife we're having is because one of the me's are creeping out of the we and causing some grief, and that me just needs to be slapped back into place. Now, don't take that literally. Please don't take that literally. My point is it keeps creeping. And so when you confront an issue, it's not about me. It's for the we. And if I can do that, if that's my goal, then I can take the conversations that sound pretty harsh to me, because the me needs to crawl up and die to the we. So if that's where you're at, submit to Christ. He's first. Pursue your two, and then promise that your marriage will not be about me, but about we. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for marriages in this room. This is your design, and it's beautiful. Marriage is something you've designed, because if it was our own human intuition, we, we would mess it up all the time, which we have as we try to take control of it. But you've given us a perfect example of what that looks like. Godly leadership, mutual submission in the covenant partnership that you have designed for us. And I pray right now for married couples in this room who are just having difficulties. And I pray as they think about whatever that it is right now in this moment that is causing tension in their relationship, they would just stop and look at it and see if there just might be somebody outside of the place God has ordained for them to be in that relationship. Or maybe they haven't given 100% commitment and they're holding something back. 
And in that holding back, they will never experience the intimacy they want in this relationship. So God, I pray that through this, there would be some conversations, maybe some hard ones, but for the goal of we growing in this relationship. So God, I, I pray for wisdom to know how to move through those challenges with the goal being we're in a covenant before God and it's going to be about we. Lord, for those who are still maybe today even hurting because of a marriage gone bad and a subsequent divorce or separation, God, I just pray your ministry right now to them. Pray you touch their hearts. Lord, we all have things to learn from our past experiences. And we can glean from those things to have a brighter and better future with you at the helm as we follow you into our future. So God, we seek you first. And you're going to work out the rest of these. Lord, for those in the room maybe today who haven't done that, who have not put you first, I just pray in this moment that they would make a commitment to you. And maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, Kelly, that, that's kind of me. I, I know some of the marital strife that I've brought is because I, I'm just not experiencing personally the love of God in my own life. And I don't know how I can love my wife as I should without experiencing his love in my heart. And maybe that's where you're at today. And you'd make a commitment to him afresh saying, I love you, God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you first. And then I'm going to pursue my two. And we're going to make this about we, not me. If that's you this morning, you're saying, I, I need to commit myself afresh to God today. Just raise a hand with our heads bowed, eyes closed in this moment of privacy. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm the, thank you. Anybody? Yes. Let me pray with you today. Father, you see the hands of these who have raised. God, you know what's going on in their stories, in their life. And God, I pray their commitment today would not just be an emotional commitment. Because this emotion will be gone like that tomorrow. But I pray this would be a covenant commitment before you right now. Because Jesus, you were the covenant for us to have that relationship restored with your Father. You shed your blood that we might have forgiveness, that we might experience your grace and your love. And then because of that embodiment of your grace and love, be that grace and love to those closest to us. So God, touch our hearts with your love. Forgive us. Let your grace overwhelm our souls and bleed out into our relationships, I pray. And we thank you for that today. We commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.